0: Now I know that we've got a wide variety of people attending and, and uh, watching online this morning. We've got um, some college students here, some, some uh, younger students that are here um, who are in school. We've got some homemakers and uh, stay-at-home mom and dads who are here who are raising kids and building a family and they're providing a place um, which God can do amazing things through that family dynamic. And we have people here that are wanting to be employed um, and we've got the currently employed, every everybody across the board. But the principles of today apply to everybody in the room. And if you're working, last week we talked about, if you were here, if you weren't, we'll share this with you. In the U.S., we have um, a 79-year Average lifespan and so all the numbers that we were using and we' are talking about last week were based on that. but if you worked a 40 hour week on average from 25 years old and up, if we started at 25 years old uh, up until you're you know I don't know 65-ish is, is, is kind of what this is saying you're going to spend 10 to 11 years. 10 solid years of your life working. Maybe you're like, no, Sean, I I worked from when I was 14 years old all the way up to... I'm still working, right? I've worked more than 10 years. Um, we're not talking about 10 years on a calendar. We're talking about 10 solid years um, of, of time that you have on earth uh, spent at your job. And you're like, you're still like, man, that doesn't sound like a lot. I felt like uh, the last week was 10 years of, of, of my life working at the job. And so I don't know, maybe uh, it's more than that for you. Maybe some of you are, are working a 40-hour week, but there's also, I know that there's a lot of you that are working more than 40 hours. Uh, Some of you work, have more than one job. And if you're working something closer, maybe 50 hours a week, we're talking about up to 15 years of your life spent at your work. So the big question we're asking today is how do we not waste our work? How do we make sure that those 10 solid years, up to 15 years of time that we have on earth, don't just get flushed down the toilet? and so that it's not just getting you know you know a paycheck every every two weeks we do that by asking how do i leverage my work for what matters and so for a lot of the culture we say work then we start thinking you know monday morning the the work week the the office projects all the deadlines and we think you know work typically is um, maybe it's a broken part of the world and and so we work because we live in a sinful world but work if we think about it it was part of the perfect world that God created. So when, when Adam and Eve entered into paradise, it says in Genesis 2, uh, verse 15, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work. To work it. <laughs> and to work it. So we're not working because the world's broken. Man, sent in, in before sin entered into the story. Why? I think it's because... God is a a God of creation. If you're taking notes, this is first blank, because God is a God of creation, and in creation, God has given each of us a stewardship of opportunity. And even in the, the very first days, in a perfect world, so no sin, no death, no sickness, no sorrow, paradise on planet Earth, right? And even then, Adam had a responsibility and a stewardship Something to wake up and look forward to a contribution you know to be made on the planet earth, so that's how God saw work in a perfect world, and that 's how God sees work in an imperfect world it's our opportunity to to wake up in the morning and to, to live with purpose and to make a contribution to god 's world and so often that's not how we see work often that's not. so the question really today is how do you? See work more specifically? How do you see your work? That's the question. And so, and I think it's one of two ways. It's either when I think about my, my job, Sean, um, I, I think about that cubicle that I go to. I don't know. Does anybody still go to cubicles? Anybody? Any, anybody? No? <laughs> no cubicles? Okay. And so, you know, maybe you're working your way up to one. I don't know. Um, but some people see work as, as a prison. Some people see work as a president. It's like, man, the warden comes by when I get in there and, and you know, he lets me in and then they close the little gate behind me and then I stay there all day right? And then they can say, okay, you've got 10-minute break, so I take the 10-minute break, and then they say, get back in there, and then I've got a, you know, 30 minutes for lunch, and maybe they let you out, or maybe they're one of those places that encourage you to eat at your desk so you could be more productive. Um, and then at the end of the day, if everything goes well, somewhere around 5 or 5.15 or 5.30, the warden comes by and says, you can go home now. And so, internalize that for a second. Let's just think about that for a second. We hear things like this all the time. We hear things like, you know, if I can get done with this project, I can what? I can get out of here. I can get out of here. Man, I I cannot wait until it's Friday so I can get out of here. I'm wrapping up as fast as I can so that I can get out of here. And it feels like a prison. And what God is wanting to say today is it's not a prison it's actually a platform on your note it's a platform from which you can influence the entire world and you're like oh sean there you go again (laughs) i I encourage you one day to just come to my work and you know uh you know it's, it's a little bit different than you know where you are you just walk around all day and pray and memorize scripture i don't know what you do whatever you do around here all day long i encourage you to to come to my place of work tomorrow and you will say wow this is a maximum security prison No, if I come to your work tomorrow, what I'm going to say to you is that you have the opportunity because you are an extraordinary person, A. You have an opportunity and you have on top of that this abundant opportunity because you're a daughter or a son of God um, to influence the world from the platform of your place of work. And so this is what Paul says. This is what Paul gets at in Colossians chapter three. Look at this main text with me. This is one of my life verses. I try to live by this. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. And this is one of those texts you're like, okay, that's very broad. That's very inclusive, right? You could be in the quick food service industry. Uh, You could be an accountant. Um, You could could be a stay-at-home mom. You could could be a student or you can be in the process of looking work. You can be retired. All of that fits under the header. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Now, can we back up and just give some context here? The people that Paul is writing to in this passage, a lot of them are working in jobs that are not of their choosing and so they're in situations of employment that none of us would want to be in. Uh, but what Paul is saying is, in the kingdom economy of God, your job doesn't control how you influence the world. It doesn't. You can use your job to determine how you influence the world is what he's saying. And so you do that by seeing the principle that's in this text. Whatever you Whatever you do. Can you just say that with me? Whatever whatever you do say it again everybody whatever you that's that's all of us whatever we do that's for all of us and you're like well you just don't know what I do it doesn't matter whatever you do and then it says work there's our word work now I know we don't love it that word but there it is. (laughs) It doesn't say try. It says work at it with all of your heart as you are working for the Lord. So this is where it starts to change. So it's not just for your boss. It's not just for your company. Uh, It's not just for the paycheck or just for yourself. We're actually doing this first for the Lord. So, not for human masters, since you know that, you know, it says you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So, there's a payoff at the end of the job. Can we just celebrate that today it's it's there's a there's a payoff for you at the end of your work day tomorrow according to scripture right here it says there's a payoff coming the boss not might not walk in shareholders may not walk in and you may not get that you know big bonus check and a direct deposit to your account this pay period but there is a reward coming for you at the end of the day and 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 then he goes on and he explains even more and he says it is the lord christ you're serving. So, this is a revolutionary way to really kind of look at work. This is opposite of the world's way of looking at work. And and, and this all of a sudden, you know, understanding this job become can become a platform of influence where God can launch rockets for his glory. And and that, you know, it's that it's that picture of the flaming arrow, right? And so that's that's what this this thing I go to every day can be. If I see it the way that God sees it, not just the way sometimes men wanna see it. Whatever you do, work with all of your heart as if you're working for the Lord. So what's the big idea for today? Each, each week in this series, we've had a big idea. Let's put that out there first and then we'll kind of work our way out into some practical application that we can all put into practice, starting immediately in our work environment. So the big idea on your notes, if you're, if you're following along, I don't normally say that every time, but I know since some of you don't have the screen, I'm trying to give you some prompts here. This is what the big idea is. You don't waste your work by excelling at what you do with a winsome spirit. Excel at what you do with a winsome spirit. I like that word winsome. Winsome just means attractive or appealing. Um, You don't waste your work by excelling at what you do with an appealing kingdom spirit. There should be something appealing about you. So now, now, what does that mean for us practically? So let's break it down a little bit. We're gonna ask six big questions this morning uh, about how not to waste our work. And the first question that we're gonna ask is, what more can I give on your notes? What more can I give, number one? Now, this is a different question than a lot of people are asking. Uh, and that's why I believe a lot of people are wasting the 10 to 15 years of their life that they spend on this planet at work. And they're not asking the right questions. And the right question isn't, what can I get out of this job? The right question is, what more can I give in this job? And so... Most, uh, I'm not. I'm really. I'm not picking on any generation this morning. I'm just using. I'm just using this as an example, just to kind of give us a framework for what we're talking about. So, most millennials, those are born that are born between um, the years eighty one and ninety six. So you would be age twenty six um, to forty one right now. You will have four jobs before you're thirty years old. That's the average right now, four jobs before you're 30 years old. The next generation after, after the millennials, generation Z is what they're, they're calling them, will have five D is what they're, they're calling them, will have five jobs before they're 30 years old. The generation before um, the millennials had three jobs. And so you, you, you see this trend developing with each generation that's coming. There's a lot more turnover happening. And so there's a lot of talk about why that's happening. The average person, listen to this, the average person in their full work life, will work in seven different careers. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, that might not, not might be not true for you, but the average person in their full work life from beginning to end, will work in seven different careers. Some of you here like, Sean, I've been in the same you know, job doing the same thing for 30 years. Well, I think that's really great, but that's not normal. And so, seven careers in a whole lifespan, and, and so for millennials, four jobs before you're 30, if we're using that number, what does that mean? It means that in the workplace it's possible to stay with me for a minute it's possible that the primary driving force of the worker is is there another better job out there for me right they're asking that question or or you know I, I might be happy to work here i like these people i like this place i like what they've done for me i'm happy that they've employed me i'm happy to be getting the paycheck but i'm always thinking is there another option for me and so Here's what's really interesting about this study. With, and this was a study's particular, again, I'm not picking on any generation. This was a study's particularly on the millennials. With those four jobs, each time a millennial switched, they got a 10 plus percent salary bump for moving from their company to the next. They got it, every time they switched um, from those four different jobs, they got a 10 plus percent salary bump. So if they stayed at the, the same company for the whole 10 years, What's happening? You're probably only getting a standard three to four percent, you know, cost of living increase every year. So why do I want the three to four percent a year if I can work there two years and jump to the next place to get and get the 1015 a little bit faster? Right. By going to another company down the street and then do that again and then do that again and then do that. And so we and, and when we think that way, we're thinking, what's the question we're asking? How can I benefit the most From my work, right? From my job. And I want to offer that. I just want to put this out there. That if you spend your entire work life doing that, there's a really high chance that you're going to waste your work. And, and, and we'll explain that. We'll unpack that. But, you know, here's the thing. You might have more money at the end of, of the day, but that doesn't ensure that the years that you're working are really going to count for the things that matter the most. And so uh, how do we shift that landscape? And so we ask these kind of questions. This is, this is kind of under this uh, banner of number one. This is next on your notes. How can I exceed Expectations. We're not waiting for somebody to ask us that. You know, we're asking the question of ourselves and of the people that we work around. We ask the question, how can I add more than I'm adding now? Now you're like, Sean, I can't add anymore. I'm already doing, here's the thing. I promise you can add more. Here's here's some interesting information I, I found this week when I was looking at this. If you don't spend time on this, (laughs) on social media during your work time, which has become a big problem in our culture, you can add more. In fact, you wanna know how much more time you can add if you take this out of the picture? If you have social media and you've never looked at Facebook or Instagram or TikTok while you're at work, congratulations, we have a hall of sainthood down this way. And you can go down there and we'll get, take your picture and we'll put up a frame and, you know, we'll clap and applaud for you. Because no kidding about this. No kidding. This is a way that the average worker can add two hours to their work day. Two hours now think about that if you're working an eight-hour shift. <laughs> so by not answering personal email and clicking on the ad on the side of that thing that you're looking at, maybe even for your company, or you know checking Facebook or that thing that you're looking at, maybe even for your company, or you know checking Facebook or throwing through you know scrolling through Instagram or texting a friend about something that's unrelated to work, you can gain back for the average person two hours in a day. And there's always room to add more than what you're doing if you look for the opportunity and you're asking. In the question, what more can I give? So how can I make the life and the mission easier for those who have paved the way for me to be here? This is a different way of thinking, isn't it? It's deciding that you want to be the most indispensable person in your organization, um, not the most disposable person in your organization. And when you simply change your mindset like that, um, you're turning your prison in that moment into a platform. And you're beginning to see things differently when you show up at your job tomorrow. The second question that we're gonna write down if you're taking notes we're asking is what more can I learn? What more can I learn? What does this mean? It means simply that we see uh, those 10 to 15 years as a continuing education opportunity where we can improve our thinking and our knowledge base in life. And uh, we can take advantage of this opportunity not just for our own personal growth, but through it to be able to Give more to the common good, so how do you do that? And this, this can apply to anybody. It can apply to all of these things. They could reply if you're, if you're retired because whatever you do, right? Remember, keep on going back to that. I know I 'm using kind of work language, but uh, this applies to everyone. So how do you do that? You take initiative. You take initiative. Can I just say that one more time? You take, and you take initiative. You, you don't wait until you're asked, you take initiative. You, you you motivate yourself and you come through the door in the morning saying, I want to learn something today. I want to try something today. I want to get involved with something today. I want to stretch a little bit. I don't want to do, do just whatever is put right in front of me, right? So you ask questions and you take advantage of every training opportunity that comes along. You do maybe outside research. You look to learn about the things that are outside your specific lane yeah, in the corporate you make others look good by the the research that you do and and then when they look good you just let them look good you don't you don't tell everybody about, you know, at the lunchroom that you're the one that made them look good. You add value to the people that you're working for. And so um, Deanna and I both worked for this organization called Barton Security uh, Company in Dallas, Texas, when I was in college. And we started, I mean, at the bottom. I was working, uh, personally, I was working at an outside garage position. I've shared some stories from this and the shift ended at 1.30 a.m. So I was like at the bottom. I was in one of those little guard shacks, you know, where you have the sliding glass um, window. And, and the tiny shack when, when people go into the parking garage. That was me. And so um, when Deanna and I found out that the company had these seven levels of training, um, this is in Dallas, um, Texas, you know, Kind of a, a big city, right? Lots of employees at this company, uh, multiple locations where they they had uh, contracted out their security officers. Um, N and I were both positioned downtown Dallas, and we we both started taking the classes. We thought, well, why not? You know, it, it it wasn't a huge commitment. It was it was probably I don't know a couple months that we were taking the classes, and so many of our peers that we were working with were these big strong way bigger than me like their their arms are like bigger than my head those types you know <laughs> and and they're a retired military a lot of them they they were they were tough uh men and women and and let me tell you they just loved it when Barton promoted us these i mean i was a i was a skinny twig i was i was a very <laughs> i don't know how to say it i was just i was I was very petite and small, and I became the supervisor over these big, tough guys because I went. I took the. We took the initiative, Deanna and I, to go through these trainings and overseeing these guys that had had all this experience in the military because they didn't take the initiative to learn and to grow. So Deanna and I were very became very influential, kind of accidentally. where we work simply because we showed up and we wanted to make things better. We wanted to be better employees. And, And so if your boss, think about this, if your boss is going to Dallas on Thursday, then you figure out how to do maybe an info sheet on Dallas and whatever, you know, your employment is, uh, your uh, company is doing there. And then give your boss the seven things that he or she needs to know about the, the business environment that's happening in, in, in Dallas related to your company. So that maybe it's, maybe it's stuff they already know, you know, may, maybe they don't know, but it's unsolicited. And you just say, you know, this may or may not be helpful to you, but I, I spent a little extra time and I figured this out and I figured this out and they might look at you and say thank you But this doesn't help me or they might actually say thank you and then go to their meeting and when they get to Dallas and they come back uh come out looking a whole lot better than they would have without the information and and they might not thank you and they might take all the credit They might give you the credit, but you have the satisfaction regardless of learning something that you didn't know. And so that, you know, now you have developed as a person just simply by taking an extra step to try to help, right, and, and, you know, the the organization or the person that you work for. So I don't know if any of you have seen the movie um, Hidden Figures. Anybody seen that one? Awesome movie. Um, the film highlights uh, people who, for decades, really weren't on the radar of recognition in America, and it centers around the uh, woman. Um, her name is Katherine Johnson. And Katherine Johnson, like a lot of uh, predominantly African-American women who worked for the National Advisory Committee um, for Aeronautics in the the 50s and the 60s, um, worked doing manual uh, computations of speed, velocity, gravity, and and all these math algorithms that allowed for space flight to happen. And so they did it manually at their desks, and there were dozens of them um, in Langley, Virginia, who were supporting the race to space. And so I, I looked on, on the, the NASA official bio of Katherine Johnson, who is portrayed so beautifully in this film, and, and she was born in, in 1918 in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia. She graduated high school at 15 years of age and was a math prodigy. Um, now, but this is what it says about her. Interestingly in the context of what we're saying of whether you see your job as a prison or a platform, um, she started as one of the women who worked on problems assigned from the engineers in the guidance and the control branch. And so Miss Johnson, she worked on the problem and she would ask questions. Uh, She didn't want to just do the work. She wanted to know the hows and the whys and the why nots and none of the other, the women who had ever done this before that were working with her. So now here's a whole group of women. They're all doing the same work right? They all got the same job description, but Catherine Johnson shows up and she's like, has anybody ever asked this question before? No, nobody ever wanted to know that. Um, Has anybody ever asked this? No, nobody ever cared to ask that question before. Well, I want to know because, um, you know, I want to ask the question today, what more can I learn? Because I'm going to, I plan to spend a lot of my time here, right? And so she was told that women, at the time, didn't participate in the briefings or attend any of the kind of the bigwig meetings. And so she asked if there was a law against it. The answer was, of course, no. And so Johnson began to attend the meetings. Eventually, she became known as a leader in those meetings. And you see how that works in the workplace? Um, And the men increasingly were relying on her. And she remembers clearly her experience at the time. This is what she said. The women did what they were told to do, They didn't ask questions or take the test any further. I asked questions. I wanted to know why. They got used to me asking the questions and being the only woman there. And it was this inquisitive nature that made her a valuable resource to the team and the only woman at the time ever to be pulled from this computing pool to work on other programs. In 1962, when President John F. Kennedy charged the country to to send a man to the moon, Johnson became a part of the team and she began to work on calculating the trajectory for America's first space trip with Alan Shepard's 1961 mission, an early step towards a moon landing, and then she went on to do the calculations for the first actual moon landing in 1969. Why? Because she asked the question, "What more can I learn?" Uh, the third way that we can ensure that we don't waste our work is by asking the question, how can I personally advance the vision? How can I take what I do at my desk or, or my place, my spot to personally give to the mission of this place, this organization, this um, place that you've put me in? And you're like, Sean, I'm not the boss. I'm not the boss, so I, you know, I think maybe you're one of the bosses around here, so that might be congratulations. I'm, I'm sure that works out great for you, but I'm not the boss. I feel like, you know, maybe you feel like you're 100 miles from the vision and nobody ever asked you to be in a strategy meeting and I don't, you know, go to the board retreats and I'm not there when our forecasts are made for, you know, whatever we're doing. I just do my job. But if you understand the vision and the mission of your leader or the company or the place that you're in, the organization that you work for, the school that you're a part of, um, or the community that you're investing your time in, then you can ensure that you don't waste your work. Um, I am the boss. Here, Deanna and I lead, but I haven't always been the boss. And I had jobs like every one of us have had in our lifetimes. You know, I I, I spent two or three three years of my life um, being the paper boy. That's so that was my first job. Like, how many of you played the, the arcade game Paperboy? We were just at uh, uh, Press Start the other day playing that. Uh, yeah, I was I was paper boy. I had three paper routes that I worked. Um, that that was that was my first money. That was that was my first money maker to go and get my Hot Wheels cars and GI Joes. And so I. I, I started there. I spent three years of my life moving furniture when I was in high school. I spent a couple of those same years as I was moving furniture Um uh, doing custodial work. I, I did it both in office spaces and at a campground out by the Oahi Dam. Um, and as I mentioned before, I worked security for almost four years when I was in college. And so I know what it's like to be the little guy on the ladder and to, to have a job that looks like it's miles away um, from the vision. But the decision is to override that distance with determination to play my part. You know just to 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 give to the vision to to contribute to it, to add what I can to what 's happening, and so don 't buy the lie that you don 't have control over much at your work. Um, you may not have control over you know everything at work, but don 't let that be your mantra so i don 't have to say. I don't have anybody control. You know, nobody ever asked me anything. I don't have any pull around here. Um, And that's your story. If that's your major story, guess what? You're gonna probably end up seeing your work as a prison and not a platform. And so um, what, what, what you don't have control over, you don't have control over. But what comes but what comes is you got to do something. You, you don't have control over maybe company expectations. Um, so when, when my district supervisor hired my good friend, Jeremy Pummel, instead of me for the district supervisor, uh, district next gen rep position, that wasn't in my plans. I'd, I didn't have any control over that. They didn't ask me whether they were going to do that or not. I wanted the position. I wanted that job. And when Jeremy got that job. He's a good friend of mine. I called him up and I told him as much. I said, I wanted that job. (laughs) Mostly because he was a good friend of mine, but also because I wanted it. And so you know what I did? I became his right man, right-hand man, right man. I developed a website for NextGen. I started doing all sorts of work to make him look better. And I started knowing uh, youth pastors in the field. I was connecting. I created a, an email um, source for youth pastors to start networking and connecting. And when he got... God led it on His heart to start uh, uh, to, to lead Pastor a church. Our district supervisor came to Jeremy Pummel and asked him. He said, "Who? Who? Give me a list of names uh, of who should be our next gen rep." And he said, "I've only got one name for you. His name is Sean Shop, and he just moved outside of our district lines. But I still think he's the best man for the job. Why?" Because I had put myself in that position to, uh, I, I, was going, I was doing everything to advance the mission for the Gateway Next Gen for our district. And so when when that position became available, there was only one name on that list that he could think of. And so I, I didn't even live in the district and they hired me to serve and work for this district when that happened. so anyhow, you don't have control over some things, but there are three things that you do have control over. This is on your notes, number one, your attitude. You have 100% control over that. Nobody else has control over your attitude. Number two, your joy. Joy is a powerful tool, and joy isn't related to your location, right? Like if I could get in that department or get in that office and get with that supervisor, my joy would go up, no. Maybe your status would go up and your conditions would improve, but you know, joy isn't related to your location. You have control over that. Um, So we have 100% control over our attitude, our joy, and number three, our effort. And so when we do that, and when we take the ownership of our spot, wherever that is, we say whatever comes to my desk is gonna be done well. Whatever comes by my cubicle or my spot uh, or my part of the, the warehouse garage, they're gonna see a good attitude. Um, I'm going to own this space. I'm going to make sure that whoever the next person that comes in and sits at this spot is going to find it better than what I found it in because I don't run the company, but I do run my cubicle or my spot or my place here. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, my cubicle is the best cubicle in the, in the, in the whole organization and nobody can stop me from doing that. And so when you see that possibility, you come to work with a different mindset and you see that you're doing your work for God and not for men. And that changes everything. So the next question that you're going to ask on your notes, how can I shine? How can I shine? Not just how can I shine by you know, sharing my faith and story with Jesus with somebody at work, but how can I shine in this company? How can I shine through my aptitude and, and, and the workflow and my character? Ultimately, how can I shine for Jesus? You know, if I'm going to spend 10 to 15 years of my life at work, I want to make sure that I'm shining for Jesus while I'm there. And so I I want to make sure as far as I have control that the light is always on in my cubicle, right? That, That there's always a beacon in my cubicle. So listen, if you need encouragement, you can just loop by me if you need somebody to pray for you, you know that you can just loop by me. If you need somebody to encourage you in the hard times in life and celebrate you in the best times of life, you can loop by me. If you ever wanna get invited to church, they know that they're gonna loop by you. You know, if, if you ever do decide you have a question about who Jesus is, they knew that they can stop by your desk. But here's the thing. Not only am I shining for Jesus, I'm shining as a professional person in my organization. So because your footing of faith is so important, your footing of faith is so important. In other words, how much people want to hear you talk about Jesus or want to hear you talk about, you know, even your church, Destiny Foursquare, if you're here, you want to know about uh, your your faith um, is directly proportional to the way that you care about people, the way that you love people and how you execute your job, how you do your work. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that somebody could say, man, I'm telling you, uh, Bill is getting on my nerves. All he does is talk about Jesus. And, and, but, the, but, the, but the person that they're telling it to says, I'm telling you, man, when, when we went through that hard patch in our lives, the only person in this place that stood by me or walked by me or carried me in those days was Bill. And I don't really necessarily—I don't even know what I think about this whole Jesus thing altogether, you know, all that. But I'll tell you one thing. He's the most solid guy you can depend on in this company. And I would listen to what he has to say because we're keeping him around. Bill is the best guy that we've got in this department. Your footing of faith on your notes is directly proportional to the way that you care about people and try um, your work product or or production in your organization. So if you're inviting people to church— but you're the one that's sabotaging the deadline of a project that all seven of the people are working on, they don't wanna to come to church with you. <laughs> you know what, they, they, they want you to get the project done on time is what they want because it ate into their vacation time and it started dominating their projects into other deadlines. And now their life is underwater because you didn't get your part of the equation done. And then you're like, man, I love Jesus. And I just want you to come to church with me. And they're like, nope, we don't want to come to church. In fact, we don't want you to go to church. We want you to stay home this Sunday and finish the project. right but man if you are consistently being the one that's putting wind into the project and getting it to move forward and coming up with all the ideas then you tell people about your life of faith and they're like I don't know I don't I've never thought about all of that before but there must be something to it because you're crushing it in all these other areas of life and you care for people here like nobody else so that's the question how can I shine today Two more quick questions. Number five, how can I help? How can I help? Work is about projects, but it's mostly about people. Work is mostly about people and they're all around us. And so if we're rolling in in the morning and saying, man, what do I have to do today? What's in my email today? What am I behind on? What's on the to-do list? What can I push off until tomorrow? How long is it to lunch? Um, if that's all I'm thinking about going through the door, then I'm probably gonna waste my day at work. But if I go through the door thinking, God, who can I help today? Who can I influence in a positive way today? It's deciding that you want to be the person in your company that's the most caring and the most trusting, uh, the most respected, the most inviting person on your team. And then you ask the bigger question, not only who can I help, you know, right around me, but I'm going to get paid in in two weeks. Who can I help with the money that, that I'm going to make from this company? And then, you know, maybe Hope Center is going to get a donation from you. You're helping people in your community who help people in this world. And how beautiful is that? And so um, I, want, I wanted to tell a quick story about Orville Rogers. He was a commercial um, airline pilot. He was a military veteran and a competitive runner. His, his t- total cumulative earnings in life were 1.5 million. It was just a few years ago that he passed away. Um, but total cumulative earnings in his whole lifetime was 1.5 million. But Orville Rogers, in comparison, has given away... Over 35 million to charitable causes in his lifetime. He took his work and he leveraged it into 35 million given to help the least and the last of these on planet Earth. You're like, I don't understand the math, Sean. I think I think you need a math tutor. (laughs) If you've got 1.5 million, then you can't give 35 million you just watch God, right? God's pretty good at math too. And if you start giving that 1.5 million that you're going to make doing the kingdom work in in your workplace of God, you watch him multiply that into more than you've ever dreamed that you would have. And so if it's all about the work, and if it's just getting money into your account, then you're probably going to end up with just some money in your account, and it's, it's really, it's, it's, it's wasting your work. But if it's about this money goes into my account, and then some of the money that goes into my account goes into other people's accounts, and I'm using the platform to get ahead in my job, and God, God's given me this platform, I see that, and when I see bonuses coming, and I see salary increases coming, and I see more income coming, you know what? I don't think of it as just a bunch more for me, I think that's another way that I can help people in this world and influence them for Jesus. And in doing that, I'm not going to prison every day. I am more and more understanding that my work is a platform for which God can launch out his kingdom agenda into the world. And so when I see other people, I want to help them through what I put my hands to when I want to invest in other people. And so that's radical thinking, right? And very few people are gonna go to work tomorrow thinking that like that, but it will ensure that you don't waste your work. And so I pray for a day that people would say, you know, man, we just need to hire more followers of Jesus. We, we, We get anybody applying that has Destiny Foursquare Church, you know, that they're attending there. Get me more of them. They're the best people that we've ever had. That, you see, is a doorway or a platform, if you will, to do the things that really matter most. And then last, and we'll close this this, this one. Um, We ask the question, everybody's asking the question, where's my reward? Give me a plaque, give me a certificate. You know, does anybody see me? I'm stuck behind here in this cubicle and I show up here every day, but it doesn't seem like I really get much credit. Where's my reward? And God says, I'll tell you where your reward is. Your reward is with me. Your reward is with me. I, I, I hope you all get a promotion. I hope, I hope you get a job. If you're looking for a job, I hope you succeed as a as a homemaker and are, are in, incredibly blown away to see your children flung like arrows to the whole world. I hope you succeed in whatever venture it is that you're in this year. I hope you're one of the, you know, one of your new entrepreneurial project just takes off. I hope the business deals that you've been um, sweating over, um, you know, come through, and I hope that you see increase in every- every way of whatever field you're you know, putting the plow to. I really do hope that for you. And I believe God hopes that for you. But the only guarantee is that God sees how you work and he considers it worship when it's done unto him. And so <laughs> maybe you're saying, Sean, I, I'm a barista. Awesome, man. Make that soy milk latte like you're making it for Jesus. So when he rolls in and I'll, I'll have a medium soy milk latte, name please, Jesus Christ. Well, I've heard that name before, but not in that way. How does your day change right then and there? And you're wiping that little thing as best as you can, right? And you're, you're, getting, you're getting that pep in your step and you're banging out, getting that coffee machine going, you're putting the other ones and like you were serving the king of kings because he is the king of kings. And when you put it on that counter, it's like, soy milk latte for Jesus. Remember me <laughs> as you go. Name Sean. <laughs> You're thinking, that would be awesome, but I'm, but I'm actually making soy milk lattes for the devil every day. What's the name? Beelzebub, <laughs> right? Can you spell that? But if you see your work as an offering to God of your best, for his best, it's worship. It doesn't matter what you're doing or where you're doing it. It doesn't matter if you're in your home or you're, you're in a coffee shop. Whatever you do, work. Whatever you do, go fix a washing machine. Great. Go do eight loads of laundry, amazing. Run a company, fantastic. Be an IT guy, awesome. I'm a carpenter, that's allowed. Just do it like you're doing it for Jesus. And when you do it like you're doing it for Jesus, you actually then, you are doing it for Jesus. And if you get a bonus, you go, thank you, I'm grateful. I'm glad you noticed, but I already knew that Jesus saw my work it's worship. And so I'm gonna get a reward from him. And I just feel satisfied knowing that I didn't waste eight hours of my life sitting in a cubicle. But I actually worshiped God for eight hours today as I was sitting in that place. And, you know, doing the very best with the intellect that he gave me in this role today, with the gifts that he's given me and my ability. Jesus, I came here to do my best for you because I want to have a platform here for you. And I know shoddy work is going to mean that I have very little opportunity to tell people about you. So I'm going to do as good as I can today in, with, the, with the gifts that you've given me in this job for you. So can we just talk about Jesus for one second? He lived for 33 years, a short time. We talked about this in one of the other messages. He was only public as a son of God for three years, a very limited time, right? And he did the work that he did to set you free from sin and shame and death and hell in three days. And it says about him in the gospel of John that he did all of these amazing things. But do you know what it says at the end? It says, Jesus did countless things. And if every one of his works were written down and described one by one, I suppose that the world itself wouldn't have enough room to contain the books that would have to be written. That means that we don't really hardly know anything that Jesus did. We know that he walked on water, yeah, but we don't know what he did the next day or the day after that. And, or the day after that, and, and or the day after that, because when when you put all the stories in the Gospels together, they don't. We don't get three years. Most of what Jesus did, he didn't get credit for. And you don't even know about it, but God, His Father, knows about it. And and we know it. Another part of the Scripture, God, His Father, said, "This is my Son, my Beloved. He's my my greatest delight is in Him." And Jesus replied to Him and says, "My work is to do the will of the One who sent me." So when you go to work tomorrow and Jesus comes along, don't go, well, I'm going to work. And well, you don't know anything about that, Jesus. He's going to go, I know a lot about work. <laughs> I know a lot about it. I worked Wait, my way down from heaven to earth. I worked my way down to a city called Jerusalem. I, I worked my way into the Passover story. I worked my way to a Roman cross. I worked my way down into the depths of the earth and I worked my way into your sin and sorrow and I worked my way into the guilt that was rightly yours and I took that on by working to be innocent and faithful for 33 years so that I could die and take on the sins that made you dead. So I know about work, all right, because I did my job and I completed my work. And I loved it too. I did it with joy for the joy set before me. I endured it. I didn't hate the cross. I didn't complain about it. You never heard me one time murmur about going to my prison called the cross. No, I saw it as a platform. So I'm going to die for the sins of the world and change history. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and do the work, and I'm going to do the work necessary to liberate everybody from sin and shame and put God up on the platform. I'm going to shine. And I'm telling you, if he worked like that, then I know that he can empower us to be world changers in our jobs. Don't ever say again in life, nobody sees my work. My work is invisible. I'm insignificant. My my little space, my cubicle is off the beaten path. Nobody even knows where I am. God knows, God sees your work. God understands your sacrifice and God is with you in the middle of it. And he is the rewarder of everything that you do you're going to get, you know, paychecks for X number of years, but you're going to get a heavenly inheritance from God almighty. Not just from being a good person or trying to honor God in the hidden places. You're going to get a reward from God for being a good employee at your company. Oh, you you, you you get into heaven by grace alone. I'm not talking about works. I'm, when, when you get there, you get rewarded by the King of Kings. It says it right in the scripture that we read. And he is gonna say to you, all the days that you were in that salon, that you were cutting hair, I saw every one of them, that you fought for integrity, you cared for people, you were selfless, you did your very best, you shined, you were the most caring person in there, you listened to people's stories, you were above reproach, you were above the fray, you were, through me, a healer to the hurting, a unifier to the broken, you were a person who lit up the character of people that came into that place, you didn't just take all the profits, but you actually invested it into my kingdom, I saw every bit of it I saw every buzz, every haircut every pigtail every shampoo and every time you swept somebody's hair off of the floor I saw all of it and you're awesome at it and I want to show you something, look at all the people that are here because of you that's a lot different than going I just sat in that cubicle for 10 years of my life and I resented every bit of it And I called it a prison in 50 different ways. And I never really saw it as my platform from which by the power of God, I can change the people around me in my world. Listen, nobody knew Katherine Johnson. Nobody paid her any attention until just even recently in the last few years. I wonder how many calculations she did that sent rockets into space. And now people go, what a legend. And you know what? God's up there going, yeah, I already knew that. (laughs) And I'm glad that you made a movie about your touching story, but she was already getting all the acclaim from me. I was already cheering her on. Don't waste your work. Excel at what you do with the winsome kingdom spirit. Father God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunities that you've given us on this planet whether we're just beginning to even think about getting into the workforce, whether we're retired and done, and Lord, you're using our gifts and abilities in our families, with our grandchildren, or whether you're stirring things up in the, the marketplace right now. God, I'd ask that you would give us the pleasure of not wasting our work, but using it as an opportunity, a platform to shine right, wherever we are. We are carriers of your name and of your glory, and you go with us. Don't let us waste that opportunity. Thank you, Jesus.